0: Welcome to our weird world. I'm your host, John Henson, and this week we are kind of looking at the story of Jack the Ripper. Obviously, Like, probably one of the most famous serial killers in all of history uh, terrorized London in 1888, where he killed a whopping five people. And look, I get it. Like, five murders is very tragic and, you know, know, just, just a catastrophe and a crime that should have been solved for sure. But also... Like, how many serial killers have we looked at on this show who have killed way more people? Like, five. Like, in America, like, you, serial killer kills five people, probably gets let out of prison two more times so that they can kill another, like, 12 people. All right. And, like, we've literally seen that happen. Uh, quite a few times, uh, at least with like serial rapists and, and all that. I mean, just like, you know, Rodney Alcala comes to mind, uh, probably, uh, Leonard Lake, Charles Ng, uh, you know, who were in prison, in and out of prison a couple of times, uh, just, yeah, either way you get the point, like five isn't a big deal, but for some reason, Uh, London is just really holding on to the Jack the Ripper story. Everyone's trying to figure out who it was. And this week, uh, we're going to look at three other London serial killers uh, and attackers from history. And uh, they're definitely not Jack the Ripper, but they're still interesting nonetheless. Our first story starts all the way back in 1681, 200 years uh, before Jack the Ripper uh, was running around killing people. And in the London courtyards along Fleet Street uh, where Sweeney Todd was going along, uh, in the Holborn district, there was this mysterious dark figure that was lurking in the narrow alleyways in London. And he would wait very silently For women who were walking alone to go past his alleyway. And then, just very quickly, out from the darkness, the only thing anyone would hear. Spanko! And that's it. The man would leap from the shadows, grab this woman, and then throw her across his knee. And he would lift her up, lift up her dress, and just, you know, wait until her but was just out exposed in the cold london air and just start wailing on it with his bare hands just just giving her a big old spanking and just as quickly as he appeared the mysterious figure would then drop the woman and disappear back into the alleyway and it happened so quickly that some women actually believed that like some supernatural force had attacked them rather than a person. And I get it because why would a normal person just leap out of a dark alley and spank you rather than, I don't know, do something worse? Uh, After dozens of attacks, uh, this happened a lot, Uh, Residents of London grew frustrated with the police's lack of effort in apprehending whoever this was. Uh, The the attacker came to be known as Whipping Tom. Uh, Women actually started carrying knives, needles, and scissors with them to ward off any potential attackers, including Whipping Tom. Uh, Some men even began dressing like women and began patrolling the courtyards where the attacks occurred. And so, you know, look, as I record this, and it's probably still going on, been a lot of talk about uh, drag and how we got to protect our children from drag queens and drag shows. And here's a great example of how dressing in drag actually was effective in fighting crime. You got some serial rapists and attackers out there. Let's dress some burly dudes in drag and let them get attacked and then fight off and probably do some damage to a serial rapist. That's that's genius. And that's turning a strange situation into something very effective. Um, after 70 attacks, after 70 shouts of spanko <laughs> rang out, spanko is <laughs> so stupid. Uh, but uh, police, actually arrested a haberdasher, a little hat maker, and an accomplice. Uh, there's no record of the trial or any convictions that is easily findable. Um, but the attacks did stop happening after these two arrests. Uh, another whipping Tom appeared in 1712 in Hackney on the north side of London. And this Tom uh, actually whipped 70 women with a tree branch rather than like his bare hands before an arrest was made. But yeah, just... Some weird stuff going on in the late 1600s where just this dude was just going around spanking women. Um, Fast forwarding now to 1788, uh, 100 years before Jack the Ripper. Another attacker, again, running amok in the alleyways. What's going on with these alleyways in London? Huh? I don't know. Install some lights. Maybe they did. Maybe that's why we don't hear that anymore, because they finally installed just some nice LEDs in these dark alleyways in London. I've never been to London, so I don't know, but I'm, I'm assuming that's probably what's going on. You know, these, these old candlelight lamps that they were probably using, probably not as effective at uh, spreading some light around, which made this an easy spot for people to get attacked. Anyway, uh, it began in 1788 when beautiful wealthy women all over London were starting to get followed by a large man who would just shout obscenities at them and then stab them in the butt with a knife. What's with butts in London right now? I don't get it. I What's going on? Just dudes walking around wanting to spank butts and stab butts and just, ugh, I don't know, man. Um, so, <laughs> Other reports uh, indicated that a man would invite a victim over to smell a fake nosegay. I don't know what that is. It's, uh, well, I know what it is actually. It's a British word for a small bouquet of flowers. Which, like British people, why can't you just call it a bouquet? Why do you have to call it a nosegay? Will you come smell my nosegay, come me little miss? Won't you come? I got a nice nosegay here. Why don't you come and smell my nose gay? And what would happen is he had this the attacker would have a spike hidden inside the bouquet. And so when the woman got her face all up in this bouquet, he would just slump and then just stab them in the face with the spike, which is pretty brilliant. Um, in each reported incident, the attacker always disappeared into the dense, dark London fog. Um, But over the next three years, over 50 women reported to have been attacked. Uh, Several had their clothes ripped. Uh, Some of them had very significant stab wounds, which you would expect when you get a spike shoved in your face. Um, As theories of the London monster, as they came to be called, gained steam in the media, uh, wealthy women that hadn't actually yet been attacked started to feel left out. Uh, several women who wanted attention so desperately and pity and, and whatever else came with that in London high society, they started, uh, faking stories and making up stories of being attacked, even going so far as to actually faking their own wounds. They would just stab themselves, rip their own clothes and claim to be attacked by the London monster. Uh, men, Actually, it became so frequent and so you know uh, common that men actually became too scared to approach women in the streets out of fear of being accused of being the London Monster. Uh, they even there was even a No Monster Club formed. Where members wore pins on their jacket to signify that they definitely were not butt stabbing or nosegay stabbing, uh, London monsters, which is like also super ineffective, right? Because like the guy who's actually perpetrating the attacks could easily just join this club, and then he could walk around with a pin and just be like, "I hey, love look, yeah, I've got my own pin, not London monster, but look at this nosegay." smell me nose gay stab right like it's just uh, the (laughs) the pen was fake love i'm really the london monster anyway um this is also the only british accent i can do everything else turns australian uh and i've I've been fighting the australian accent really so it's just got to be this awful high-pitched cockney accent but whatever it's my show um (laughs) citizens started to grow restless when the London police continuously failed to capture the London monster. Uh, some men began arming themselves and patrolling the streets in their own sort of vigilante posse groups. Uh, women actually began strapping copper frying pans to their dr- underneath their dresses and over their butts to prevent them from being stabbed. <laughs> Uh, Local pickpockets then took advantage of this hysteria by robbing people and then pointing at them and shouting monster so that people would think that someone had spotted the London monster or whatever. And then the pickpockets would just run away and escape during all the chaos. Uh, Finally, on June 13th, 1970, a woman named Ann Porter was walking along St. James Park when she spotted... uh, uh, th- the same person who had attacked her previously, um, uh, her designated friend zone serf, John Coleman, who was walking with her, uh, pursued the man, confronted him, and then challenged him to a duel. And this man, 23-year-old Renwick Williams, had no idea what was going on, but he was just like, fine, uh, you want to challenge me to a duel? Huh? Well, then that's duel, and whatever. And so... That's just what they did back then uh, when Coleman then came back and presented Williams to Anne to like confirm, like, Mrs. Porter, is this the man that stabbed your bum? And then she fainted because that's what women in the 1700s did a lot. And that was all the evidence that London police needed to arrest um, Renwick Williams. Williams was charged with defacing clothes, which according to these crazy London laws at the time actually carried a punishment more severe than assault or attempted murder, right? Like you can listen, guys, you can, we don't care how many people you try to hurt or kill, but if you rip someone's clothes, like we have to strongly consider giving you the death penalty. That is inexcusable, unforgivable to tear someone's clothes, right? Oh, did you, uh, did you stab someone with a knife and leave them bleeding in the streets? And, but luckily they didn't die. Oh, all right. That's, that's probably fine. Oh, oh, wait, what? And you ripped the sleeve on his coat pocket. Oh, get to the gallows with you, sir. Um, (laughs) so dumb. Um, after a, hysterical trial where um Williams like he's just indignant at this point. Like he doesn't he doesn't really admit to ever being the London monster, but he's just like going along with it and like mocking the whole process, which didn't work out for him in the end because he was sentenced to six years in prison. However, uh, a lot of historians and scholars really believe that Williams was innocent and And only became a scapegoat to the London monster attacks due to the mass hysteria that had been caused by all of this. But, I mean, the attacks did, you know, almost completely end after that. And so, I don't know, maybe it was him. It probably wasn't, though. Uh, Our final story here is of someone that we definitely know who it was. uh, Thomas Neil Cream, who was born in Glasgow. Uh, Scotland, but his parents immigrated to Quebec City in Canada when he was only four years old. Uh, Cream was a prodigy. He graduated from McGill University in Montreal with a degree in medicine uh, before returning to medical school in London and getting his doctorate. Uh, He returned back to Ontario, married a girl named Flora Brooks, got her pregnant and then almost killed her after botching the abortion because that's what a loving husband uh, is supposed to do. I, I i never mind <laughs> ah, i was gonna gonna make a very poor joke right now uh because I am a husband whose wife is pregnant. I'm not gonna do that uh it's. It's not her body, her choice. Right, guys. Right. Anyway, um, Flora ended up dying a year later of tuberculosis, and that was all that cream really needed to completely lose his mind. Um, Two years later, a woman named Kate Gardner was found dead from chloroform poisoning in an alleyway behind cream's office in Canada. Uh, the two had been dating each other, but Cream had recently accused her of getting pregnant by a local businessman and decided that that was unforgivable and that she needed to die for it. Uh, when Cream was accused of murder and blackmail, he then left Canada for the United States. Uh, he then went to Chicago, where he opened up another medical office near the city's red light district and began offering more Poorly executed abortions to Chicago's best decision makers, like all the all the women with the right, like just back alley abortions, man. Just never, never a better solution. Right. Like if you're going to do it, do it clinically. Right. Don't don't just like start rooting around up there with a clothes hanger or whatever. Like just, you know, think about your future self, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. This feels like a very touchy subject <laughs> to start skating around. Anyway, you get it. Um, when uh, a local Chicago prostitute, Mary Ann Faulkner was found dead in August of 1880. Cream was charged with her murder, but was eventually released because there was just a lack of direct evidence. Less than a year after that uh, arrest, Cream was a suspect in three other deaths, including that of Daniel Stott, who died from strychnine poisoning. Uh, Cream had actually been having an affair with Stott's wife, and Cream had supplied her with the poison under the guise of it being a cure for epilepsy, which, I mean, I guess wasn't entirely false, because if you're dead, then you don't have epilepsy anymore, so, I mean, tomato potato right uh after trying to blackmail a pharmacist stott's widow finally turned all the evidence against cream over to the state and he was arrested for murder and sentenced to life in prison now that is where that story should end but it doesn't uh Cream's brother actually ended up bribing Illinois Governor Joseph W. Pfeiffer, and Cream was released after only serving 10 years in prison. And once he was free, uh, he used money that he had inherited from his father, who had died while Cream was in prison, to then sail back to England, where he wasted no time setting up another medical practice in the worst neighborhood in London in 1891. So cream uh, allegedly arrives back in London, opens up a new practice in 1891, three years after uh, the Jack the Ripper murders Uh, in less than a year. Cream had poisoned four more sex workers. And then just for fun, he wrote basically anonymous letters to, prominent men in the area blackmailing them by accusing them of each murder. However, um or no, these weren't anonymous letters. Like he legit signed his name because uh because Cream had like made this habit of accusing random people for all of these murders, the London police quickly figured out that he was the one who was actually committing the murders because it was like Cream was the only one out of everyone who knew that all of these women had been murdered. And yet how would he also know that each of these different men were also the killer? Like it just, it made absolutely no sense every single time. And so that was pretty easy to figure out. So police put cream under surveillance where they learned of his frequent interactions with uh, the area's sex workers. They also learned of his prior murder conviction back in Illinois. And as the, uh, you know, as police were starting to close in, They received an anonymous letter from Jack the Ripper attempting to pronounce Cream's innocence and everyone at the police station when they read that thought that was the most hilarious thing they had ever seen because it was super obvious that Cream had written that letter. Uh, so on June 3rd, 1892, cream was arrested and charged with the murders of four different women, plus the attempted murder of another, and then plus some extortion charges on top. Just because, uh, after four days in courts and a whopping 12 minutes of deliberation from the jury, cream was found guilty of all charges and sentenced to death. And then a little more than two weeks later, which I love when it's that this quick, uh, cream was hanged at the Newgate prison. Now, uh, A lot of people for a very long time really did think that Thomas Neal Cream was Jack the Ripper. Uh, I mean, and there are some connections, right? Like Jack the Ripper, known for killing prostitutes in a very, very sophisticated, almost surgical kind of way. Thomas Neal Cream, a doctor, also killed sex workers in a similar way. Um, Even more, James Billington, who performed the execution claimed that Cream's last words on the gallows were, quote, I am Jack the, and then whatever. Um, However, no one else who attended the hanging could corroborate the story. And also because Cream was actually still in prison in Illinois at the time of the actual Ripper murders in 1888. That is wholly documented. So there's literally no way that Thomas Neal Cream was Jack the Ripper. Uh, Some people think that Cream may have actually left prison earlier acting on that bribe from his brother and then actually used a lookalike in his place for the remainder of his sentence but like when you're that far down the conspiracy rabbit hole you need to stop like you have too much faith in humanity to, <laughs> to like really think that that's legitimate right cuz like you know look conspiracies are fun to think about But the the reality of the situation is that the world is so full of incompetent people, right? Just like to think that anyone in Congress has the ability to execute some sophisticated, uh, you know, Underground plot to think that there is this existence of some black market cabal of this pedophilic sex ring, adrenochrome drinking Illuminati group that secretly runs. Like, no, <laughs> there's just the people that get elected are too stupid, too genuinely stupid to be able to pull off something of that complex magnitude. Right? Same thing here. Like, sure. There was a lot of corruption in the Illinois government back then. Probably still is. Uh, you know, yes, Cream's brother did bribe the governor to get him released early. But then to add that extra layer of, and they used a the body double to then serve the rest of the Senate. It's like, no, no. Like, he was in prison. His brother bribed the governor. He got released after 1888, you know, arrived in England in 1891. Like, that's documented, Right. Um, but one possible explanation – I'm going to go back and wrap this story up. One possible explanation for this purported confession actually came from Cream, uh, Cream's biographer. And according to him, Cream had actually gotten so scared during his execution that he lost all control of his bodily functions. And so instead of saying, I am Jack The, this biographer believes that Cream actually said, I'm ejaculating. Which – I can see that. All right, there you go. Some stories of dudes who were definitely not Jack the Ripper in the books. Um, Yeah, just like, and I get it. Like London is a huge city. A lot of people, a lot of different things going on, but just like some weird criminals, going around there and doing some stuff. So let's recap and see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, spanko, just a dude running around spanking ladies in, in London in the 1700s, uh, known as whipping Tom. Number two, uh, Things got so bad during the London monster attacks uh, about 100 years later that uh, women were strapping copper frying pans to their butts to prevent them from being stabbed. What's what's going on? Were the women did the women in London back then just have some big old donks, some big old dump trucks back there under their petticoats? Or oh, I don't know what they wore, but like, I don't know, man, what was going on there? Uh, and number three, Thomas Neal Cream, definitely not Jack the Ripper, but I, it's understandable why some people would think that he was, but he was in prison in Illinois at the time of the murders and just, yeah, definitely just wasn't him. <laughs> And and look, if you're wondering, um, no one still knows who Jack the Ripper was. There's like a handful of people. Some people feel super confident it's one guy. Some people totally believe it's another guy. Um, It's still no one knows. And who cares? It was five people, right? Like, he was no Andre Chikatilo, no Gary Ridgway, no Ted Bundy, right? None of those dudes, right? It's fine. He's Jack the Ripper, the lowest of like least important serial killers in history. But that is that next week we're going to have some fun with food, uh, an episode dedicated to just some weird food related stories from history. Uh, we are going to look at the stories of Tarar, the great tomato trial, the Swiss cheese pervert and the great peanut butter panic. Uh, next week's going to be a fun episode. Just, uh, just so much craziness in that that's going to do it this week. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Keep telling all your friends and keep it weird. Well, the boys around here don't listen to the Beatles, run ol' Bocephus through a jukebox needle, at a honky-tonk where their boots stomp, all night, what? That's right. Yeah, and what they call work, digging in the dirt, gotta get it in the ground for the rain come down, to get paid, to get the girl in your four-wheel drive, a country boy can survive. Well, the boys round here, they're keeping it country. Ain't a damn one know how to do the Dougie. You don't do the Dougie? No, not in Kentucky. But these girls round here, yep, they still love me. Yeah, the girls round here, they all deserve a whistle. Shakin' that sugar, sweet as Dixie Crystal. They like that y'all and southern drawl and just can't help it. Cause they just keep fallin' for the boys round here drinking that ice cold beer, talking about girls, talking about trucks, running them red dirt roads out, kicking up dust. The boys round here sending up a prayer to the man upstairs, backwoods legit, don't take no shit. Chew tobacco, chew tobacco, chew tobacco, spit. <sighs>